As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell. With me today is a man who always wins the crossbar challenge, at least the crossbar challenge of my heart, whatever that means. It's Joe Lowry. Hi, Joe. <laughs> Taylor, I'm honored to be the one that, that hits the final crossbar to win it for what, whatever team I would be on in this battle for Taylor's heart. I'm here for it. I, is it me versus Margaret? I don't think I should win that. I hope I don't. Me versus oh, yeah. I I don't want to. I really you don't want to play Ryan. this game. You versus Ryan, you definitely <laughs> okay. win the crossbar challenge. I'm not sure Fair. Ryan would participate, and if he did, he might fall over while shooting. Shots already fired at Ryan. Uh, but this this is my indelicate way of leading into the oh. idea that Joe is currently uh, in Minnesota covering the All-Star Game. He was at the Skills Challenge last night. Joe, did anyone ask for tips or anything like that, or were they sort of doing their own thing? Shockingly, no one asked me for <laughs> tips as to how to compete in a soccer competition. I wrote just a little fun like piece for Backheeled about the, the Skills Competition. I rated each event and, and got a little silly with it, and one of the categories I used for the touch challenge was, I don't remember what I rated it, maybe a, a 7 or 8 out of 10. And I said, you know, that was 7. I can still see the disappointment in Bobby Warshaw's eyes when he saw my first touch. It was out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> it was 9. There we go. It was 9. I can still see the disappointment in Bobby's eyes out of 10. Because uh, you've seen me play soccer. The touch, isn't, the touch isn't great. My likelihood of hitting the crossbar isn't great. So I'll leave that stuff to Hani Mukhtar and, and Carles Hill and all those people. What was the uh, the favorite challenge then? Which one was the most highly rated by you? Uh, I think I rated the uh, the cross and volley challenge the highest. I mean, it is it is so satisfying to just see players smash the ball into the back of the net. It, it's like they also had a shooting challenge earlier on in the competition, and that one's kind of just penalty after penalty after penalty, and and that one didn't do it for me quite as much. But the cross and volley challenge. You're seeing Chicharito try to do some sort of scissor kick, and you're seeing Brandon Vasquez try to absolutely smash this ball into the goal. It's it's really good fun. That one that one was great. The touch challenge is great. The crossbar challenge is fun. And goalie wars, which didn't get televised, and also we're using MLS Next Pro goalkeepers, which I think was really fun for those players. Yeah. Goalie wars was a, a massive hit in the stadium, but they didn't put it on TV. There was a little bit of, of coverage on social media for some of that stuff. So I'm guessing if people want to go look it up, you could find at least snippets of it on Twitter. 
But they kind of buried that, I, I believe, as a test to try it out maybe for next year or the following year. Goalie Wars needs to come back. Watching goalies stand you know, 30 yards away or whatever it is, 20 yards away, and yeah. huck balls back and forth and kick them as hard as they can to try to hit the back of the net. I mean, that is, that is pure fun, and we need to see more of that. Well, first of all, correct usage of Huck. Well done Thank by you, you, Joe. Thank you. Joe, is Goalie Wars something that you've advocated for on Total Soccer Show previously? I feel like we had a question about ways to improve the game, and I feel like you added Goalie Wars in there. I, I don't remember if that was you, Taylor, or if it was me, or if it might have been Grandma Ryan. Either way, I would like to make sure that TSS's official stance is pro-Goalie Wars. Right. I don't think we'll have any <laughs> trouble convincing our, our foursome here. It's it's so much fun, right? It's not uh, somebody turned to me and said, like, this is a torn labor I'm waiting to happen. And yep. that's probably true. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what makes it so fun. MLS, yep. I, I learned yesterday, I didn't know this. I was editing I was editing Justin Egan's piece uh, for the website, and he informed me that if MLS players withdraw or are, or are basically not participants in the All-Star game when they're supposed to be, there's a one-game suspension, which I, I didn't know. I had no idea that that was true, but it, it kind of makes sense. But I, I love the idea, and this kind of feels pure MLS to me that a player could be suspended one game for a very legitimate desire not to be severely injured yeah. in the MLS All-Star Skills Challenge, either on the cross and volley or in goalie wars. Either way, it is so much fun, and I'm really glad that I was able to go yesterday. I really do think goalie wars is the best when you're like 13 to 16 and oh, your yeah. bones are made out of rubber. Because, yeah, otherwise, I think me at my age trying to play goalie Feeling wars, it. like one dive, and I'm like, I'm going to need a couple minutes to get back up. <laughs> uh, so I'm glad that you enjoyed it. I'm glad that you didn't uh, injure yourself covering it or participating in it. Was there anybody in the skills challenge that stood out to you, just being there in person, like that you maybe found yourself watching more than you expected to? Yeah, I mean, I mentioned this yesterday as a, as a prediction of, of sorts of what mm-hmm. I was expecting in that you see all these number 10s and, and you see how much quality they have in MLS. And of course, in Liga Mackey's too, tons of talented players there. But you see Hani Mukhtar, you see Carles Hill, you see uh, uh, Sebastian Driussi, uh, Driussi, excuse me. You know, you watch them do the touch challenge and Hani Mukhtar participated in that. I believe Carles Hill did as well. They're so smooth on the ball. They're so good at that stuff. And even... I don't know, even the, the cross and volley and seeing how well these players connect with the ball. You watch enough professional soccer. I watch enough professional soccer that things that should be hard and that I know in my brain are hard start to look easy. It's like watching Darlington Nagby glide through midfield. He makes it look easy, but it's not. You go and step on the field and, and you realize, wow, this is way harder than I thought. Last night was a reminder for me of just how hard it is to be a professional soccer player and how much skill it takes. And, and watching Chicharito just just hit balls as hard as he could and actually score them repeatedly with some different acrobatic shots was impressive. And the same with the touch challenge to cushion the ball and then actually try to hit a, a target as well. Just it's absurd stuff. Soccer's hard and, and these players make it look easy. Soccer is hard. There are players that make it look easy. There are also MLS teams that make the regular season look easy, and then there are some that make it look the opposite of that. Yes, there are. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to do an MLS catch-up of sorts while Joe awaits the MLS All-Star game. We've got many teams to be discussed, many questions from me for Joe, and I want to start... Not with DC United, which is the first thing we had in the running order because of my bias. I instead want to stick with the idea that MLS is the league of the uh, the creative number 10. Uh, because I was listening to Extra Time this morning. They were discussing the signing of uh, Ricky Puj. Uh, I think they've since been corrected on their pronunciation by Ricky Puj. Uh, but he, <laughs> he was signed by the Galaxy. That felt like huge news to me. Uh, Charlie Davies on Extra Time got teased a little bit for saying it could be one of the biggest signings in the league if all goes well. But I do feel 
like this could be very big for the Galaxy and for the league because this is a player we've talked about previously on this show, Joe. It's somebody who maybe just needs the right situation and the freedom to be a number 10. It seems like that's what he's going to get. Yeah, so Taylor, when this whole news was breaking about Ricky Pooj, and it was maybe mm-hmm. a, a week or so of of news and reports and rumors, and, and I'm really bad, and this is something I'd like to get better at, but I don't really know where to start. I'm not great at knowing from Europe what sources are accurate and what sources aren't accurate, and so I kind of wait until some MLS folks or some American soccer media folks that I know start to, to cover it or I ask them. And, and this was sort of real early on, and, and we were getting reports of this. And I had, just, I had this flashback to us talking about Ricky Puj on the Total Soccer Show. We talked about it on this show, you, me, and Graham and Ryan. I think it was everyone there. And the, it was a listener questions episode about, you know, what happened to Ricky Puj? You know, he was this really highly rated La Masia product, and he was coming into the first team and looking good in moments. And now all of a sudden he was buried on the depth chart. And, and we talked about why maybe he wasn't first choice anymore. Ronald Koeman coming through at Barcelona and not really rating Puj. Then you have Pedri and Gavi and the other really talented youngsters that are maybe the next generation behind him that outpaced him at Barcelona. And so I was wondering at that time of that episode, you know, where's he going to go? He's probably going to stick around Barcelona or get a loan in La Liga and, and go and, and really play well for maybe a mid-table team in La Liga and work his way back or whatever that looks like. And then all of a sudden we're seeing these rumors and reports about Puj coming to the Galaxy. And I thought, okay, this is just a rumor and European reporters have picked the Galaxy because that's the only MLS team they know, et cetera, et cetera. And, and then it turns out to be real. And I think, Taylor, this is a massive deal for MLS. Yeah. It, would be, it would be talked about a lot more for a couple of different reasons, if a couple of different things were happening. So the first thing is if the Galaxy were good, and they're not really all that good in MLS right now. Underperforming DPs, Chicharito's not having a great season. There's not a lot of buzz around the Galaxy other than, you know, what's wrong with them? Why aren't they very good? And, and it's kind of for the reasons I just said there. And the other piece of this is LAFC stealing the show with not only their big acquisitions of Gareth Bale and Giorgio Chiellini, but also making some really smart moves from within MLS and Chicho Arango playing well. And so the Galaxy right now are just their second fiddle in L.A. And they have been all season before even the Bale and, and Chiellini signings were announced, but they certainly are now. And, and Puj, this deal, I don't think even at a player of his profile, is probably not enough to shift the general conversation about soccer in L.A. But, oh boy, mm. I, I think this is a big deal for the Galaxy. We know how good he is. He's incredibly skilled on the ball. I don't think he's a pure number 10. I think he's much better as a, as a number 8 in a 4-3-3 as, as one of dual 8s. The Galaxy don't really play that way. But I was trying to think through. There aren't very many players that have been in Ricky Puja's profile. Even set aside Barcelona and just loop in a lot of other top European clubs. When have we seen a player of Ricky Puja's pedigree, someone that's had his amount of hype, come to Major League Soccer in their early 20s yeah. as a sort of a, a prove-it player. It's happened before. There have been Barcelona players that have come to MLS, multiple, multiple of them in the past, but no one that's quite in the same profile and has the same backing that Ricky Puj has had by really big soccer figures in the past. This, to me, feels like a, a, a sort of a landmark signing for MLS, and it's not really getting that billing, and I, I hope, because I love watching Ricky Puj play, I hope we see him do some pretty crazy stuff in Major League Soccer. Strangely, a player who I think is like similar in certain ways is one who was signed by DC United this summer. It's Ravel Morrison. And I think if Ravel Morrison had signed for DC United basically after first leaving Man United, that would be a rough equivalent of what we're seeing with Ricky Puj mm. because Ravel Morrison was a player under Ferguson who people thought was going to be that next great playmaker, that next creative midfielder that could kind of spark United and, and come up through the academy. That's the tradition there. And then it doesn't work out for on and very much off field reasons. And that's not what we have with Puj. Even. It's basically, uh, as, as you've already alluded to, we talked about it on the show, 
it's it's some tactical things. It's maybe a little bit of of naivete when it comes to his positioning on and off the ball. Maybe a lack of defensive effort on occasion, but I think there are certain wrinkles to his game that when you're looking at a club the size of Barcelona doing what Barcelona is trying to do right now, which is yeah. sign every player somehow, uh, it makes a little more sense why he sort of falls by the wayside. Yeah, But I think it's been perceived as like, oh, he's just not good enough. He was flash in the pan. He's one of those guys. And I think the sort of system evolved that Xavi wants them to do specific things. He doesn't quite fit in with that or doesn't have the expertise to do so. Now has... Uh, more better players ahead of him who are bigger names, but also more better academy players coming through. And so I think he finds himself on the sidelines. This feels like a move that if he stays with the Galaxy, he could be an MLS legend. I could also see him being there for this season, maybe one more season, and then making a move back to Europe for a decent amount of money, because I think he is that good. I think he could be that big of a difference maker for them. And that path, actually, Taylor, I think it's much better for the Galaxy, I think it's much better for Major League Soccer and probably even for Ricky Pouge if he follows that second path of being in L.A. for the rest of this season and maybe next season or or whatever that looks like. Making a move out of L.A. eventually after if things go well, after playing well there. Because I, I think about this whole signing and I just question how many times have we seen a young player who can't break in at a, at a really elite level club choose to come to MLS mm-hmm. instead of going to the Eredivisie or to League. Uh, I think about Conrad De La Fuente being in yep. a player who's not nearly as highly regarded in, in Europe or in, in America, I think, as Ricky Puj. But at Barcelona, can't really break into the first team, gets a, a tiny bit of playing time, less than Ricky Puj, I should add, and then goes to Marseille. It feels like that's the path we've seen players take before when they can't break in at top-level clubs in Europe. Not, okay, I can't break in at Barcelona, now I'm coming to the Galaxy. Now I'm coming to Major League Soccer. And there's a massive difference, to be clear, than, than coming to the Galaxy and coming to the Houston Dynamo. Or, or even to a, a large percentage of clubs in Major League Soccer, FC Cincinnati. I'm not trying to take shots at those teams. It's just a different stratosphere because of the markets that those teams are in. If Puj does well and goes back to Europe, and I saw Doyle making this point, if he goes to Valencia or, or a, another pretty sizable team in Europe on, on the back of this Galaxy move... That to me opens a whole new set of opportunities for Major League Soccer, saying, "Hey, you know, we're ready to we're ready to be the Eredivisie. We're ready to try to be the Eredivisie, or to try to be uh, the Primera Liga in Portugal. We're ready to try and make that jump and to be a place where European players can come and play before they turn 28 or 29. We're ready to be that now. And I don't think MLS has has really had that prove it landmark deal yet. And maybe Puj won't be that. Maybe he'll flame out. And maybe he he really won't help the Galaxy perform all that much better for the rest of the season and next." But it's it's worth a shot, man, and I, I'm really excited about this deal. I, I am as well for the on-field reasons. I also think Ricky Pouch could be a very good player, and I like when very good players maybe reach that potential. But and they, perhaps this is naive, but I feel like there's you know for the longest time there's been this stigma around the league or this identity that it's a retirement league, that there's no pressure, it's very easy, you can go there when you're in your mid-30s and have a a few more paydays, play some soccer, and then on you go. And maybe that's fair, maybe that's unfair, but what I like the idea of it now being is if you're, say, Gareth Bale or Ricky Puj or Carlos Vela or Chicharito, players who maybe don't feel like they're being appreciated in Europe, they're not getting the credit they deserve or they find themselves in strange situations or... I don't know, unpopular situations that you could make this move to MLS. And my hope would be you move there kind of expecting it to be a little bit easier and it's kind of a time to like find myself and rebuild and then we'll see what happens. That they arrive, the league is more challenging or the league is of a better standard than expected. And then if they do end up staying, great because they like it. If they don't and they move back, the goal would be, let's say Puj does have a, a very successful season or two seasons and then he moves. 
I, I would assume there's an, a little bit of, of, you know, talking about MLS and, and yeah, how the standard was good and how, like, yeah, you should go there. It's fun. It's nice. Like, I think that also you could end up being an ambassador, basically, for the league in that way. So I think there's lots of potential in multiple different ways. All of that dependent on the Galaxy coming good, sure. on Puj finding success with the Galaxy. Joe, what will that take for the Galaxy to have a better rest of the season with Puj uh, in the lineup? So it's it's not impossible for the Galaxy to make the playoffs. They're sitting in ninth right now. It's it is painfully easy for teams to make believe, the playoffs in Major League Soccer. I believe the website Backheeled uh, reported that it was a nine percent chance of them making the playoffs according to five thirty eight. Well, oh, shoot, nine percent. That sounds really low, man. I, right? I completely forgot about that. I mean, they they have a not they have a chance. Nine percent is, is, is not impossible. It is certainly not impossible, man. Taylor, where are you seeing this? I got to go find this number. Where do we have this? Tell me more. Uh, it was from your website. I, I know. Okay, we'll, we'll touch back on that later. doesn't matter. doesn't matter. The Galaxy very much are in the playoff hunt, uh, 9% or not. They are three points back of the Portland Timbers with uh, two games in hand as well. So they, have, they very much have a shot to do some damage as they rise up the, the table towards the end of the season. They need better production from the Wings. They need better production from uh, uh, Chicharito as well. I kind of mentioned those things. If Greg Vanny can figure out a way to get his best players on the field, Dejan Jovalich has been a revelation this season. I really liked him last year as well. He's been a super sub for the Galaxy this year, and there's been talk about maybe getting him into the starting 11. I wouldn't hate that at all. I think him and Chicharito together with a three-man midfield or a four-man midfield and maybe some sort of diamond with the fullbacks getting forward, there's potential there. There's talent in this team. Greg Vanny just has to do his absolute best to piece it together. I, I think Greg Vanny's a, a pretty good coach. I think he has the potential to fix this problem. It's unfortunate for the Galaxy that they missed on on at least a couple of their wing signings, even all three, Samuel Grancier, Kevin Cabral, and, and Douglas Costa. None of them have ever really truly wowed me in Major League Soccer. So they do need better production out wide. They're trapped into some bad contracts at the moment, which makes that difficult. But if Puj can elevate the midfield a little bit and, and maybe lean a little further into a creator role than he ever had to do at Barcelona, I think he's capable of threading some really nice balls in behind and progressing the ball and finding Chicharito and Jovalich and, and finding a winger in hopes that they'll create something. The Galaxy can piece it together. It's just a, a real question about whether they will or not. First off, my mistake, that was Toronto FC with the 9% chance uh, from that article. There we go. I apologize. That's, you're good. You're good. There we go. Uh, do you have any thoughts on what did or like didn't work for Douglas Costa? Because that was a player when I saw him uh, in person against Charlotte. I thought he looked very good. Yeah, I did think great. playing in the heat was maybe going to be a problem for him. Even if he is Brazilian, it did seem like he was maybe not at the most fit. But I assumed that would be a thing that would be improved as the season went on. It sounds like that is not going to be the case. I don't, I don't think so at this point. He's played over 1,000 minutes and has two goals and one assist so far this season. So he's not played a ton, given where we are with about a third of the MLS regular season left to go. He hasn't played a lot. He started 12 games, and he's not producing. So part of that is the Galaxy just haven't really been all that dangerous in the final third, and it's not like Costa is the finishing. He's not the, he's not the garnish on the dish like I think you want him to be when you sign a player like Douglas Costa. You want him to add that finishing touch. Instead, he's he's like the rice in the dish, or he's the the sauce, where he's a much more important component than you want him to be. Now I'm hungry, Taylor. It's only 9.30 a.m. where I am, and I'm hungry. <laughs> he's he's not able to play the role. I think the, that the Galaxy would have liked him to play with a fully functioning Chicharito and Jovalich and Grancier and Cabral figuring things out, and Efra being dangerous in midfield. That's not happening. So he's being asked to do a little too much, and, and he also just looks old and not ready to play 90 minutes, which is a shame because peak Douglas Costa, even... Even subprime Douglas Costa can be a brilliant player. And we saw that earlier on this season, Taylor. You were talking about that Charlotte game. Early on in the year, the first two, three games, I thought Douglas Costa was so much fun. And it's just yep. sad because that fun, I think, is faded. 
Uh, I've never heard a player and the phrase subprime used together, and it's now maybe my favorite expression ever. I can't decide if it's my favorite or least favorite, Taylor. I think it's awesome. So I'm going to take a moment to reflect on that. We're going to take a moment to hear from, from some sponsors. We'll be back to talk about that other team in L.A. in just a second. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back to the Total Soccer Show. Hopefully you never left. Uh, LAFC have been doing some things, Joe, to the point where they, like a couple other teams before them, have been quietly, like you've heard the quiet mumbles about like, I'm not sure how they're doing this. I'm not sure what the roster conventions are. I feel like that's what happens when you're able to sign Chiellini and Bale and still have an incredibly (laughs) strong team. It's a badge of honor, I think, for LAFC. So this, and, and Paul and Sam talked about this in Allocation Disorder a couple of weeks back. LAFC are making some of these moves. They're signing Gareth Bale on a non-BT on a non-DP deal, excuse me, initially. And Ernst Tanner made some comments to kick her over in Germany and said, you know, I don't really know how this stuff's going down. And he ended up getting fined from MLS. And I just think that is is the biggest compliment that can be paid to GMs in Major League Soccer, to groups in Major League Soccer, when other teams legitimately don't don't know or can't yeah. figure out how you're doing what it's you're doing. Be cheating. And, and part of that is because Inter-Miami yeah. got caught for actually yeah. cheating. And I, I'm not going to say that the teams are operating outside the lines, but it's very much likely that that does happen at some level across the league because, and, and Paul and Sam talked about this too, MLS doesn't have the staff to police the complex roster rules that they put in place. So teams are, are incentivized to try to push as far as they can and to step over that line to give themselves the maximum advantage. And LAFC, setting all of that stuff aside, with the squad they've built, They've given themselves a massive advantage. This team was already really, really good before they made their moves in this transfer window. They were already on top of the Western Conference. They were already doing a ton of damage out West. And then they go out and sign Giorgio Chiellini. That had happened a a little while ago. Then they go out and sign Gareth Bale. Then they go out and sign another designated player. And all of a sudden, they have two very capable three-man front lines that they can rotate through, rotate between Carlos Vela and Brian Rodriguez and, and Chicho Arango. And there's so much talent in this team. They go out and trade for Sebas Mendes from Orlando City, who Oscar Pereja wasn't playing. And he's a very capable Ecuadorian international who we could see at the World Cup in a couple of months. I mean, there's a, a lot of depth in this team. Mamadou Falls, an upcoming center back who I think has the potential to be the best defender who's ever set foot in MLS, maybe outside of Chiellini at this point. I mean, he's he's that talented of a young center back. Athletic, modern, he, he checks all the boxes for me. Th- this team's unreal. Steve Tarandolo doesn't have to do much other than manage egos, which is hard enough to do on its own. But LAFC didn't go out and, and sign a, a manager with really their own ideas, not not trying to poke fun at or, or, or really knock Steve Terundolo here. But Terundolo has been willing to just ride with the principles that Bob Bradley instilled, tweak little things here and there, go back to the 4-3-3. 
But man, the quality in this team, that, that's going to win you games. The question for LAFC right now is much less about the supporter shield, where they're heavy favorites to win this mm-hmm. season, and they should be. They should win it. If they don't, something very wrong has happened. The question for them is, are these signings good enough to get them MLS Cup, which is not a straightforward question when MLS Cup is a kind of random knockout single elimination style tournament. <laughs> Uh, I know my history on this episode of getting 538 stats correct is is shaky at best. But again, according to Backyield, 83% chance LAFC yeah. wins the Supporter yeah. Shield, but we've got a long way to go. Joe, uh, maybe less so the Supporter Shield, but with MLS Cup, what are the things that could prevent them from winning? Obviously, some of those signings not coming good or not betting in right away could be part of that. But are there any other areas that you have concerns about that could prevent LAFC from achieving that goal? So the primary concern for every team in the postseason, but especially a juggernaut that is a favorite in the postseason, is just random stuff happening that you kind of can't control for. I mean, soccer, I think part of the thing, some of the things that make soccer so enjoyable is that it's played over a long season. You get 34 games in MLS and you can sort of tell, okay, even with unbalanced schedules, here are the good teams, here are the bad teams. In the postseason, that all goes out the window. Let's think back to last season in in the playoffs, Taylor, where you and I, and I think Jordan were on the show together talking about RSL, just not shooting at all and beating the Seattle Sounders, who were a really good team and went on to win CCL a few months later. I mean, it is chaos. It is pure chaos, and that's part of what makes the MLS Cup playoffs so much fun. It's also what makes them so frustrating for teams like LAFC. So you're looking at a fluke goal from outside the box. You're looking at just a game where LAFC cannot put the ball in the back of the net despite having a bunch of chances. The random element, I think, is the biggest thing that could take LAFC down. The other thing I'm wondering about is Chiellini. A little bit. He He's not the same defender he was five years ago. He's not the same defender at Juventus that he was a few years ago. So think back to, to last season at Juve or, or with Italy at the Euros. He's lost a step. It's not just since coming to, to, to MLS with LAFC, but he's just lost a step in general. If he's on the field in a pivotal moment in the playoffs and in transition, yeah, he can read the game really well and he still has some somewhat of an engine, but he's... He's not the guy you want back defending in space. So how Steve Trundolo manages and rotates through his center backs where he has a bunch of players that are capable of starting in any given game, how he chooses those matchups and how he rotates and manages minutes and egos again, that's a question mark around this team. I don't I don't think we have any reasons to assume that he'll get it wrong, Steve Trundolo, but it's certainly something to think about. Right now it is LAFC with a Pretty sizable gap over most teams, with the exception of Austin in the West. Austin only six points back. Do you expect, Joe, that that's roughly how it will finish? Or could you see somebody, if not leapfrogging LAFC, is there anybody that you think is most likely to catch Austin or surpass them? I think it's staying like that one, two. Right. Credit to Austin. Man, I mean, they are, they're making a push this year. They, their improvement after being a, a really poor team in Major League Soccer last year, struggling in transition, still trying to figure out how to play and and how to defend in transition. They've rebounded this year in a big way for a team that's very, very young in Major League Soccer. Josh Wolf has had incredible success with this team, with a squad that I still don't think is as good as LAFC, not really all that close to LAFC, and, and not nearly as good as some of the top teams in the East. They have overperformed expectations by a mile this year. In, in just their second season in Major League Soccer. So they deserve credit for that. Sebastian Drisi is a star in Major League Soccer. They just went out and signed another DP after missing on a couple of their DPs in the past already in their young existence. Diego Fagundes is creating chances. There's a lot to like about this team. I don't have them as a real contender for trophies yet. I don't think that's wild to say, though, either, when you look at how good the top of the Eastern Conference is and how good LAFC is and how random the playoffs can be. I think this is a great year for Austin. They should be really proud of the stepping the, the steps that they've made. And it's pretty clearly LAFC 1, Austin 2, and then 
just a giant question mark for me as far as the rest of the Western Conference goes. Do you have any thoughts on why that's the case? Is it just that those two teams have been so solid in their recruitment and the way they've been playing? Or are there, are there other issues? I know it's kind of a huge question, but it's just so odd to see that huge of a gap in a yeah. league where parity is the norm. No, Taylor, I think that's a, a great question. It is a big gap between, it, it's a decent gap between one and two. So LAFC on 51 points as we're recording now with 23 games. So they have a game in hand on Austin who have 45 points. That's a six-point gap. It could be nine. And then you have a gap between Austin and FC Dallas, who's in third. Austin with 45 and Dallas with 36 points. That's another nine-point gap. It's a, it's a big distance. I think the reason for some of that in the West this year, Taylor, is just underperformance or disappointing seasons in some ways from a number of different teams. So RSL started hot and then faded. Maybe not disappointing. Maybe inconsistent is the word I should be using there. RSL started hot. They faded a little bit. They're still in fifth. They're just a couple points behind Dallas. Dallas have had some really nice numbers this year. They've had some great results. They've really struggled to finish out games, and they're lacking in the back. They were, from what it sounds like, they were looking at Richie Larea. He ends up going to Toronto, so they, they didn't end up upgrading at fullback, and they still have some underperforming players at center back, too. Minnesota, they missed Emmanuel Reynoso for stretches. When he's been on, they've been hot. When he's not been in, they, they haven't done as well winning games. And then Nashville, who's in sixth right now, Gary Smith's out here talking about how if this team even makes the playoffs, it'll be the biggest accomplishment in his in his time, in, in this group, I think is what he used, the term he used, in this Nashville SC group's history, which doesn't really make any sense to me because I think they finished third in the Eastern Conference last year and they made the playoffs in their expansion season. It's just a lot of weird narratives and underperforming teams or at the very least inconsistent teams in Austin and LAFC have been the only two groups to really rise above that inconsistency. Well, let's stop talking about inconsistent teams. Let's talk about a team that's been consistently not so good so far this year. DC <laughs> United, bringing in Wayne Rooney. Uh, Joe, I don't think you and I have talked much about that decision. No. Uh, we've talked about it via text, I think, and, and prior to recording, but we haven't had a chance to talk about it on air. What were your thoughts when he was brought in? What are your thoughts since he's been brought in? It's exciting, right, to get somebody like Wayne Rooney back to DC, the connection he has to that club. I think is is a great thing for DC United. He coached Wayne Rooney, of course, coached Derby County and had some real success there in the championship, even with Derby County's massive deduction. They ended up in League One, but I almost said League One. They ended up in League in League One in England. <laughs> Wayne you Rooney get relegated to France. That's yeah, how it works, yeah, right. I think that's how some English soccer fans think it works. But anyway, <laughs> Wayne Rooney comes to Major League Soccer. It's a big move. He's a big name and a guy that, like I said, had some success in England. There's a lot of exciting bits about this. The challenge for DC though is. The club is kind of a mess right now. So they go from Hernan Lasada to Chad Ashton. They don't totally change the tactical identity, but now Wayne Rooney comes in and, and takes over as permanent manager, and they are going to change the tactical identity. Wayne Rooney is not about this really aggressive, high-pressing system. He's changed from a back five to a back four for the most part. It's pretty fluid in possession with some different players rotating into spaces. They're 1-1-1 one, one, one so far into Wayne Rooney, who, who had his first game on July 31st. So they beat Orlando, they lost big to Charlotte, and they drew with the Red Bulls. It's not a bad string of results for a team that's struggled to get many points at all this season. That's four points. They only have 22 on the year through 23 games. DC's challenge has been this season, though, I think less about coaching and more about talent. They just had, they, they have not had the level of quality that you need in MLS at this point in its existence. 
to really challenge for the playoffs in a meaningful way. Could they? If a few things have gone differently, even with the same squad, of course. They've dealt with some injuries. They've had some underperforming players. Taxi Fontes has come in, and he's been brilliant for them. They paid a little extra to get him in just a few weeks earlier, and that looks like it's been a smart move. They have quality, but just not enough. And so DC's response to that, in addition to signing Wayne Rooney as manager, has been to go out and have the most active transfer window in MLS. So the transfer window closed last week, and DC was busy. They brought in Christian Benteke, they brought in Ravel Morrison, they brought in Victor Plassen. So Plassen and Benteke are both designated players. They signed Martin Rodriguez, who I believe was playing in Turkey. They signed David Ochoa from RSL, and they signed Miguel Berry from the Columbus crew. They traded for, for those two players. Those are all players who could realistically get major minutes, if not become starters by the end of the season, maybe with the exception of Miguel Berry because you signed Christian Benteke. They're, they're taking a lot of risks with these players. They signed, now they have all, all, all the DP spots filled. Benteke is a risk. He hasn't scored more than 10 goals in a season since 2016-17. He's 31, but he can be an influence. Victor Plassen is 31 coming over from the second Bundesliga. He helped Schalke get promoted to the Bundesliga last year. We know teams are looking in the second Bundesliga for talent. That could work. It might not. The same very much applies to Ravel Morrison, who hasn't lit MLS on fire, but has been playing a little bit. I just have a, a bunch of questions about this DC team. I'm curious to see how the Wayne Rooney era goes. I'm curious to see if these players hit, or at least if the, the majority of them do. But when you trade Julian Gressel and, and you get rid of Edson Flores, Flores never really worked out in Major League Soccer, but Gressel was brilliant. You need to replace that production, and DC has more than enough firepower now, or they took more than enough swings to try to replace some of that production. Now we just get to watch and see what happens, Taylor. Sometimes when teams go out and make that number of signings or those types of signings, it, you can see it and think, like, yeah, that works. I see how they're fit. Like, that's an area of need. That wasn't working. This player wasn't fitting in. All of those signings tick a lot of boxes or make a lot of sense. I always enjoy in, in transfer marks when you can see, like, oh, they sold a center back. They brought in a center back. They sold a right back. They brought in two right backs. Okay, I see where there's going to be some competition. But then there's other times when the signings are a little bit more scattershot or it's tougher to see. Like, as you said, there's Miguel Berry, but then there's also Christian Benteke. So is there an argument, Joe, that the signings they're making are are maybe panicky, just trying to fill a bunch of areas of need? Or do you see this as a squad build towards playing the style that Wayne Rooney wants to play with a kind of cohesive idea behind it? I think it is an attempt at building out the roster that Wayne Rooney wants. He's very familiar with Christian Benteke, of of course. I mean, they would have overlapped a little bit and and certainly seen Christian Benteke play like the rest of us or like a lot of the rest of us. Ravel Morrison played for Wayne Rooney at Derby County. Uh, Victor Plassen, I don't know what the tie is there, but I mean, these are players that Wayne Rooney certainly would have had an influence in signing. Whether or not they turn out to be good signings is another matter. I don't love going out and spending your last two DP spots on two 31-year-olds. That that doesn't sit great with me when DC still, in my mind, are a transfer window or two or four away from really being a threat out East. But maybe this gets them to a point where they can be more competitive in the Eastern Conference and draw in some more talent over the next year or two. I do like the David Ochoa move. It's it's There's not that much risk in this deal. I do like the Miguel Berry move as well. Not not a lot of risk there. I just Now DC has, has four strikers. And Ola Kamara, who they, they just haven't been able to get rid of, Christian Benteke, Miguel Berry, and, and Michael Estrada, they've added all of those players fairly recently. That's four deep. And, and maybe Wayne Rooney wants to play a 4-4-2, but then you also have Taxi Fantas, who's played up front as a second striker at times. And I just don't quite get how all these pieces fit together. But maybe Wayne Rooney does, and we're going to see a better DC team. I'm, I'm not sold yet, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe something changes between now and the end of the regular season. 
a, a very random question in looking uh, at more inform- information about Victor Paulson, who I did not realize was a former New York Red Bulls player. Learned that one today. Uh, it will be a defensive midfielder for them. Joe, who is the best defensive midfielder in the league, in your opinion? I'm assuming it would be uh, Zhao. Is it Zhao Paulo? I always forget. Yeah, Zhao Paulo. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for he's... Seattle, but he is injured right now. Who would you say is the best current like active uh, D-mid in the league? I mean, there's a ton of different styles of, mm-hmm. of defensive midfielders, but Ilya Sanchez has been incredible for LAFC this year yeah. as that number six. He's the Edward Atuesta replacement, and he's been really, really good. Obina Nuoboto has been excellent for Cincinnati as this destroyer, pure mobility tackler. Imagine Tyler Adams for FC Cincinnati. He, he's kind of doing that job for Pat Noonan. He's been brilliant as well as a new signing. There's a couple others that are, are up there. Mark Delgado is really, really good, but those are some of the names that come to mind for me first. Since you mentioned uh, FC Cincinnati, we got to talk about them because Joe, yeah. they could be in the playoffs. Might they actually actually be a playoff team? I I think they might actually actually should be a playoff team. Woo-hoo. Taylor, I think this team is is actually good, and I I am so happy for Cincinnati fans. They have dealt with so much incompetence. They've dealt with so many challenges. This team won back to back to back wooden spoons in their first three seasons in Major League Soccer. They've been awful and, and, and relevant simply because of how awful they've been. That's different now. This team's actually good. I talked with Brandon Vasquez last night after the skills challenge and was asking him, you know, Brandon Vasquez is having a breakout season. I hope he's with the U.S. men's national team in September and maybe even beyond that at the World Cup. He's He was there last season. He's seen what it was like before the Pat Noonan as coach and Chris Albright as, as a front office decision maker. He's been there before this new era. And I was asking him, you know, what's what's the difference? What's changed? And the first two people he mentioned were Pat Noonan and were Chris Albright. It was that pairing. He is he is pretty high, and I imagine a lot of other Cincinnati players are high on this new regime that since he's brought in, and I asked him specifically what the most important and the most noticeable change from last year to this year has been if he had to give one thing. And he said, clarity. Players know what they're supposed to do now. They know the style. They understand what's being asked of them where that just wasn't happening before because the quality of the instructions and the people giving those instructions just weren't there for Cincinnati. Now Brandon Vasquez is having an, an electric season. Lucho Acosta has been phenomenal as well. Nuobodo, that's a really tough one to say, but I'm going to get it. Nuobodo has been excellent in defensive midfield. They just signed Matt Biazga as well to give them some quality in the back. This is not a perfect team. This is not a perfect team. I don't think they're great in midfield at, at the number eight spot. I don't love Alice Powell as a right wing back. They're missing Matsurita as a left wing back. He picked up an injury with Costa Rica during World Cup qualifying. They, they should not be favorites to win a trophy this year. But Cincinnati is is legitimately good. They've taken a massive step from year one, two, and three to now in, in year four. They are fun to watch. They're stars on this team. They are relevant now for being something other than than terrible. And I'm just, I'm really happy for Cincy fans. Uh, are you happy for Matt Miazga, a player that I, I kind of assumed years ago would be in the World Cup conversation for 2022, but obviously has not been. We've talked about that a little bit on this show previously and has not had the best time in his club career abroad. Now back in the domestic league, if he has a strong rest of the season, if he helps Cincinnati make the playoffs, can you see him back in Greg Berhalter's considerations, or do you think he has maybe too much work to do before uh, the 2022 World Cup? I think he's got a chance. Uh, Who other than Walker Zimmerman would we say is a lockdown center back for the national team? I, I don't think... There are players I'd like to see on the plan to Qatar. Chris Richards in particular, I think, is is the most talented center back in the pool, and I, I hope he is starting next to Walker Zimmerman at the World Cup. But Richards is is still a, a maybe, trending towards hopefully. Aaron Long is a, is a probably, but not a definitely. 
John Brooks has been out in the cold for months now. Tim Ream is old and and maybe has a chance still. There's other players that I, that I haven't mentioned, but Matt Miazga's got a shot. Matt Miazga and Shaq Moore, who's in a similar-ish spot at right back, I think, that as Miazga is at center back, where he's not first choice and he's not a, a lock, but he's on the fringes. Moore's maybe a little closer than Miazga's been to the team in the past. But Miazga's got a chance. I think it was a great decision from him and his camp to come back to Major League Soccer, a place with Cincinnati that they needed center back help. He knows he'll play. He'll be the key figure in that back line, and he can show what he can do. If he plays well, yeah, we could see him in September. We could see him in November. There's absolutely a chance. The door is open for Matt Miazga now, whereas if he's still trying to find a club and is maybe trying to push to the next level in Europe after being on loan, you know, maybe he wouldn't have gotten that chance. Since he, to me, is a very practical spot for him in terms of his World Cup hopes right now. All right. Many more teams and players still to be discussed. One more break, and we will be back to do just that. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. All right, Joe, final stretch. We're going to talk about a lot of different teams, and we'll probably end up going long. Let's start with Toronto, who went full Italian uh, this window, brought in Bernardeschi, brought in Insigne, Insigne already scoring. Thoughts on what the rest of their season looks like, given that, as we've already established, 538 gives them a 9% chance of making the playoffs. There it is. 
they're, the rest of their season is going to look like pure chaos, and I cannot <laughs> tell you how excited I am. So, so the first game that we saw Lorenzo Insigne and, and Federico Bernadeschi start for Toronto, they came out and absolutely destroyed Charlotte FC. And that game, the, the first half, because Insigne and Bernadeschi came off at halftime, the first half was the best and most entertaining half of soccer I've seen all season. It was that good. It was so much fun. Mark Anthony Kay was starting in the field, and he's been injured a little bit for Toronto, so we haven't seen that as much since that game. But he was starting in midfield next to Insigne. You had Bernadeschi on the right. Michael Bradley was getting forward and scoring goals. It was it was so much fun to watch. And since then, they lost the Canadian Championship Final to Vancouver, which was a disappointing result. But in MLS play, they drew with the New England Revolution on the road, which is not a glamorous result, but a good result for Toronto as they're fighting for the playoffs. And then they beat Nashville 4-3 in Nashville at Geodes Park, which is a great result for Toronto. It's going to be a lot of shootouts for this team this year. They're still not complete. I'm not sold on the center back options right now at all. There's not enough midfield depth in this team, but the front line is awesome. Maybe not entirely consistent, but Bernadeschi is another really big signing, I think. He's a few years older than Ricky Puj and a couple years younger than Lorenzo Insigne, but he's in his late 20s and is coming from Juve. It, it seems to me that this is another profile player that we haven't seen a lot of before. Giovinco kind of fits that profile. Carlos Vela kind of fits that profile, but we talked about this on TSS in the past. We haven't seen many players at, at Bernadeschi's age and with his background and pedigree come to MLS with that combination, so I'm, I'm really high on that signing. I'm just excited for the rest of the year for Toronto. I have no idea if they'll make the playoffs. I I, I kind of lean towards their defense ending. I, I, I kind of lean towards the fact that their defense will end up sinking them, all things considered. But it's going to be a beautiful, burning, crazy mess for the next few months. And I, I think they're must-see TV right now. Toronto must-see TV. What about New England? I would say not exactly favorites to repeat as Supporter Shield winners. Uh, they have had a pretty significant drop-off since last season, Joe. I'm guessing you would not be picking them to win the Supporter Shield. Uh, but can you see them making the playoffs, or do you think it's just too much for them to overcome this season? I can totally see them making the playoffs. Okay. The, the bottom of the Eastern Conference is kind of like all but the top two spots in the Western Conference, if that makes sense. So in the East, you have Philly in first, NYCFC in second, Montreal and the Red Bulls in, in third and fourth. And then you have the crew on 33 points. And you go all the way down to 12th, where Atlanta is. They have 28 points. It's a five-point gap. You can maybe even dip down to Toronto with 26 points. And they have a shot. They're only four points back of the seventh spot right now. It is congested as, as congested can be in the Eastern Conference. So New England totally have a chance. They made a couple of additions. They signed a striker. They signed a goalkeeper and, 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 uh, who's been really strong this year in Petrovic. He's been a great Matt Turner replacement. It's too early to tell if he's the next Matt Turner or anything like that, but he's been great, and he's been exactly what they need. The Revs have a ton of talent. Now, they did trade Sebastian Legette to, uh, to FC Dallas. I don't think Legette was particularly good for Bruce Arena this time around, and I don't think he'll be missed all that much, to be totally honest. So getting a little bit of money for him at this point in the year is not the worst thing. The Revs totally have the ability. When you have Carlos Hill, a strong goalkeeper, some quality center backs and fullbacks, that recipe can take you a long way in Major League Soccer. And the Revs happen to have Carlos Hill, a good goalkeeper, good center backs, and some good fullbacks. So, yeah, I think they could absolutely make some moves. So they've replaced Matt Turner, at least in terms of position, if not in terms of quality yet. Uh, sure. They've let Sebastian Legette go. They've also let Josie Altador leave. He is now with Puebla. Uh, I, I guess I'm surprised by that for a couple reasons, the Althador one. Number one, it seemed like Bruce Arena, as we know, will bring in those former players who he feels like he, he has a good relationship with, who he knows how to get the best out of. And I think we expected that to be Legette. We expected that to be Althador if he was able to kind of get back some fitness, get back to a little bit of what we've come to expect from him in the past. And that doesn't end up being the case. But it still seems like there's some hype 
from people about him going to Puebla. I cannot tell if that is rooted in reality or rooted in people wanting Josie Altador to be good again. What do you feel about Josie right now, Joe? Because I'm kind of uh, torn on this one. I'm really hoping he makes it at Puebla. I'm really hoping he comes good. But it seems like based on what we've seen so far this season, that is less likely. Yeah, I, I don't think it's all that likely. I want it to work out because it's fun to watch Josie Altador play soccer. He's he's a really I- interesting player at this point in his career. He's not as mobile as he was, and that's a big part of why I don't think it worked out at New England. He was, I believe, according to Second Spectrum, the slowest outfield player in MLS this season among players with 500 minutes Yeesh. or more. He's not fast anymore, not even close to fast. He struggles to move. And, and with the refs, he played 600 minutes and scored one goal. And just it just wasn't going to be it. He didn't live up to to the hype that had been around that move and around him going to New England. And, and probably looking back on it, he was never going to be in a position to do that. With his build and just his status at this point in his career, I think Josie can contribute in the right circumstance. Maybe Puebla is that circumstance where he's coming off the bench and, and can be a late-game option. He was supposed to be that in New England, though, and that didn't really work out either. So... I'm I'm totally here for the Josie Altador and Liga Mekis experiment, and Puebla social media has been great around this move and and teasing it out a little bit, and all that stuff has been fun. I'm not super optimistic though about this move in general, and that does bum me out a little bit. From what you've seen, is it a, is it like an accumulated injuries issue that have eventually caught up for him? Is it a fitness issue? What is it that's keeping him from being a little bit speedier? I don't know enough about the medical side to know how much his injuries have had an impact. I mean, he has spent a nice chunk of his career out injured. It's also true that at this point, he, he looks more like a tight end than he does like a, like a striker. I mean, that's, that's just the reality. He's an incredible athlete, and Josie is, is more athletic than I will ever be, and he still is now. It's just his, his build at this point and his mixture of, of that and his lack of speed and top-end speed I think really hurts him. And he's just not fit enough from what I've seen to go 90 consistently, which limits his impact too. So it's a mixture of all those factors with probably some of the the residual effects of injuries tossed in too. But I I couldn't say for sure. Uh, A team that I did not expect to be anywhere close to where they are this season would be Atlanta. Certainly didn't have them below Charlotte. Did not have them on the outside looking into the playoff race. Uh, But from what I've read, it seems like there are still reasons for optimism, reasons to believe they could make the playoffs. But Joe, for people who have missed it, what has gone wrong for Atlanta this season? And then how can they uh, get back on the right track? Okay, so you know what I just said about not being able to tell if players are still affected by injuries? Yes. Yeah, scratch that. Because Joseph Martinez is <laughs> is not the same player he used to be, and it seems to me that injuries have been a big part of that. Okay. He's also getting older, and he's not really fit at this point. So Joseph Martinez's decline, and I'm concerned that we're never going to see the same uh, Joseph really? Martinez, that same MLS Cup Joseph Martinez mm. that we did a few years ago. I, I think that may be gone at this point, which is really sad. That's part of it. That's probably not even the biggest part, though, Taylor. The, the biggest part, I would wager, is the injuries. Brad Guzan, done for the year. Miles Robinson, done for the year. Ozzy Alonso, done for the year. They've been missing Andrew Gutman for stretches. They've been missing Brooks Lennon for stretches. They've been missing players left and right and have just struggled to put out the same 11 two weeks in a row at this point. So that's been a, a huge issue for this team this year. I think if you told Gonzalo Pineda, you're going to have to replace all of these guys, and, and Joseph Martinez also isn't going to be playing all that well this year, it's not totally unrealistic that they do end up missing the playoffs. Now, that's a weird thing to say because of how much money and how much talent they have in the attack. You think about Joseph and his name, but you also look at Thiago Almada, who they paid big money for. You look at Luis, uh, Luis Araujo, who they played, who they paid a, a decent chunk of change for and has also a pretty high profile. You look at Marcelino Moreno. They just signed a, a Colombian attacker in, I think, a U22 initiative slot, Edwin Mosquera. There's so much quality in this team, and that's why... 
it is a total crapshoot for the playoffs in the East right now. But I think Atlanta has as good of a chance, if not better, than anybody else in the Eastern Conference right now to maybe sneak up and steal the fifth, sixth, or seventh spot. There's a ton of quality, even with the injuries. If everyone's fit, it's a really deep squad. Even without those players that I already mentioned, there's still a lot of ability here. And and at the end of the day, if they can sneak into the playoffs, they're not going to be a team that anybody out East wants to play. Uh, I'm going to assume the same goes for NYCFC when it comes to teams not wanting to play them, though they themselves in a bit of a transition. New manager Tati Castellanos gone. Uh, Have you been impressed by what you've seen from them, given that sort of level of change, level of flux? Not really, to be honest. I mean, NYCFC, I still think is one of the best teams in Major League Soccer. Uh, Justin, in that article you you referenced earlier about uh, Toronto FC's playoff odds and some other big questions around MLS, Justin, who's in New York, is a lot lower on this team right now than I am, and he's closer to him, so maybe maybe he's the, the guy to go to for this. I still think with the talent they have, even without Tati, Tyus Magno's been excellent in MLS this year. Santi Rodriguez is a talented player. Thiago Andrade is a talented player. Gabriel Pereira is really good as well, even though he's not playing every single game. Maxi Morales is getting old, and, and Justin referenced in that piece, he is the second slowest outfield player in MLS at this point after Josie Altidore, who's no longer in the league. So he's not exactly mobile at this point. And without Tati, NYCFC is not going to be able to press the same way. It also doesn't seem like Nick Cushing maybe wants to press the same way. I'm not really sure what's going on there. They're still an excellent group. There are just a lot more questions about NYCFC than I thought there were going to be. It seemed to me like going from Dyla, Ronnie Dyla, who's now in Belgium with Standard Liège, going from Ronnie Dyla to Nick Cushing was going to be a pretty smooth transition. And it it hasn't been that bumpy but it, it hasn't been smooth either. We're getting a nice little bob on the water right now with NYCFC. Who's going to replace Tati? Can they create chances without him? Can they capitalize without him? And are they able to press without Tati and without Ronnie Dyla? We don't know right now. We just don't know. So we haven't talked about uh, plenty of teams, obviously, because we've gone long on other ones. Who are, who are sort of like the favorite teams, the most interesting teams for you, Joe, that we haven't yet discussed? Could be the Red Bulls, could be Montreal, Columbus, Chicago, Orlando, Miami, and then plenty of teams out West. I think we've only talked about two or three out West so far. Yeah, so I'll, I'll go rapid fire here a little bit. I'll, I'll touch on a few at least. Philly is the first one. They're top of the Eastern Conference right now. They're an awesome team. Jim Curtin's a really good coach. Uh, I, I think he is the most likely manager to, to make that Ronnie Dyla-esque move from MLS over to Europe and to get a chance to prove himself there if he wants to. The success that the union have had over the last few years with Curtin and Ertz Tanner leading the way has been awesome to see. So Philly's very, very good. They're playing out of that 4-4-2 diamond. They made a couple of signings up front that I think have elevated them a bit. Uh, maybe Mikel Ura hasn't been exactly who they wanted him to be. But Daniel Gazdag is an effective box-crashing number 10, even if he's not the playmaker that maybe they need. They have depth in midfield, and one of the other things that makes this team so much fun, Taylor, is that after the CONCACAF U-20 championship, where Jack McGlynn and a number of other Philly players, Paxton Aronson, I think there were four Philly homegrowns in that U.S. team, after that tournament, Aronson and McGlynn have come out and, and gotten real minutes in MLS over the last, shoot, I don't remember when that tournament was, month or so. Jack McGlynn's been playing and impressing with that left foot. I think, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic, even for as young as he is, I think he might have the best left foot in American soccer, it's certainly the best left foot of any young American player in the world right now. Carlos Vela would probably like to have a word with me on that one. But there's a lot of talent in that left foot alone for Jack McGlynn. And Paxton Aronson is kind of finding his own a little bit for the Union. He scored a goal recently. He's a creative guy who can run hard and press. He's not the same player as Brendan Aronson, but he's, he's darn similar. There's a lot to like about Philly right now. Montreal, for their part, third in the Eastern Conference. Wolf Renance is... 
a coaching genius. He's been awesome since he took over for Thierry Henry. He's another manager that I think is is very close to the top of the MLS coach power rankings, if there is such a thing. He's been great in Montreal. I've gone from just barely missing the playoffs but still being good last season to a surefire playoff team this season. He deserves a ton of credit for that in the East. And then the Red Bulls, to finish out that top four, they're very good as well. Um, they're, they're maybe not this juggernaut that they've been in the past. I don't think they have the talent to be that right now. They, they were pretty underwhelming in their moves in the summer transfer window for MLS. They've not been getting a ton of great results. Recently, they crashed out of the U.S. Open Cup. They lost to the Rapids last week, or yeah, that was last week now, and they drew with D.C. over the weekend. It's underwhelming, but I mean, they press. They're aggressive. They're the same Red Bulls team that we expect them to be, and they can beat anybody anytime, too. They're not a contender for the Shield, but again, postseason, yeah, never say never with the Red Bulls right now. Who would you say, Joe, final question for you on the more negative side of things? Like, because DC United, they're spending a lot. They've got Rooney in. There's reason for optimism there. Uh, I think we talked uh, previously about how Toronto should be feeling better. Atlanta should be feeling better. Charlotte, an expansion team ahead of those three teams. I'm guessing they're feeling okay. New England also have potential. So it seems like, like normally at this point, we have some teams that are just rooted at the bottom. There's not a ton of reason for optimism. It's all about the full rebuild. And that seems more like it's the case for some teams out West. Who do you think is the most likely team to pick up that wooden spoon at the end of the season? That's a great question, Taylor. I I still think DC is probably the most likely team to do it right now. But, I mean, they made a bunch of moves. And if even one or two of them pan out, I think they maybe are sneaking past one of the teams at the bottom of the West. The name that comes to mind for me is San Jose. I know they're 13th, not 14th in the West right now. SKC is below them. And, and San Jose even have a game in hand. But I, I really like Eric Tommy, who SKC signed from Germany. He was playing for Stuttgart in the Bundesliga, I believe. He's been awesome as a left-sided number eight, sometimes playing over on the right side of central midfield. He looks like a really good player. And, and if SKC can get Polito and Kinda back and, and ready to go next year, they are a dangerous team, again, in the Western Conference. But San Jose don't really have that. They didn't really get that massive influx of talent in the secondary transfer window, which is a smart move on their part, I think, because they don't have a permanent manager. It's still Alex Cavello managing this team. There's been reports about them looking for Luigi Gonzalez. That's not going to happen until after the World Cup, by all accounts. So they've been waiting and, and being patient and biding their time. They're selling players on, which is a great step for this club. There's reasons to be optimistic if you're an Earthquakes fan right now, but I'm not sure you're going to see any fruit from those reasons until after the season. So I think San Jose, along with D.C. And, and maybe Houston and SKC, have the best chance of ending up with that wooden spoon. Yeah, we are. Well, Joe Lowry, thank you very much for talking all the MLS with me today. You've got, uh, I'm guessing, a busy day ahead of you. What else is on tap before All-Star, before the All-Star game? Or is that what you're just entirely focused on? You want to make sure that uh, the All-Stars get the win, so you're kind of putting all your energy into that. Yeah, I'm I'm just focusing yep. on on the MLS team winning the all important All Star game against of League Mekis. I mean, if that doesn't happen, Taylor, I'm going to be wrecked emotionally. Um, yeah, I don't say, I don't we'll know what I'm going to do. It's fine. Okay, well, uh, well, maybe maybe we're having a different <laughs> conversation here. Um, no, seriously, in in terms of next steps. Uh, we have another podcast later, which is going to be great. So we're doing listener questions. That'll be fun. And then I'm writing a newsletter for Backheeled about some just general thoughts about All-Star and MLS in, in general right now. So subscribe to that. It's free for folks who are out there and interested in reading about soccer. If you like soccer, do that. And then, yeah, All-Star game tonight. And, I mean, just fingers crossed that MLS can get the job done, Taylor. There we are. Well, Joe Lowry, thank you so much uh, for being here with me today. Listeners, thank you so much uh, for sticking with us. And we have many more shows coming out this week. But for now, we'll talk to you soon.